Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott. I'm a confidence coach and instigator of joy. I believe that we are all so much more powerful than we can possibly understand. My goal with these conversations is to introduce you to brave, vulnerable people who are finding and owning their awesome. My guests are leaning into what makes them unique and sharing that uniqueness with the world. I hope these conversations inspire you to break free from whatever is holding you back and to step into your own greatness. Welcome to the Find Your Awesome podcast. I am Kelsey Abbott, your host. I'm a confidence coach for world changers, and I'm also an athlete. And this conversation with Jessica Broderick, it's good. It's really good. If you are an athlete, if you move your body in any way, please just listen to this I, and, and share your takeaways. And one thing that, well, I'm inspired to share this story with y'all right now. I have shared this on social media. I share this on my website. And maybe, just maybe you haven't heard this and maybe you need to hear this story right now. Flashback to college college swimming. I was racing. I remember this so clearly. I was racing, you know, it was a 50 free, super fast, 25 second race, less than that if it was a good day. And, you know, everything's burning. I took three breaths max on this whole race. So you'd think there's not much time to notice things. And yet I have some really clear memories. I remember driving really hard, coming into the turn, flipping on the wall and noticing that I was ahead of the girl next to me. That meant I was winning. And I noted it. And then driving, 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 driving all the way in towards the flags and I realized I was still ahead of the girl next to me. And I slowed down just a teeny tiny bit, just enough to hit the wall in second. What? What happened? Did I get tired? Did I get burned out? Did I need a breath? Mm -mm. I was afraid of winning. I was terrified of winning. I was terrified of stepping into my greatness. I was terrified of my own sparkle. I was terrified of being seen as my greatest self. And I was terrified of being seen by myself as my greatest self. I did not believe that I was worthy. That was my inner critic. My inner critic told me, you are not worthy of greatness. You are not worthy, period. I, years later, I remember, I didn't know all of that at the time. Years later, when I went to coaching school, we were invited to explore our inner critics. And I remember the moment that I realized what my inner critic had been saying to me all this time. I remember just tears, not even streaming down my face, but pouring down my face as I realized that that was my inner critic's voice saying, you are not worthy. You are not worthy of sparkling. You are not worthy of greatness. And at that moment, as I did the work, I stepped forward into a promise to myself to sparkle to show up, to be my greatest self. And I promised to help other people sparkle as well. That's what I got for you today. And now I want you to listen to this conversation with Jessica Broderick. She's a former pro triathlete. She just retired. She has a whole lot of wisdom to share around the athlete's mind and how I was, you know, I'm just going to leave it at that. I don't want to spoil it for you. Listen, if it resonates with you, please share on social media. Jessica is Jess E. Broderick on Instagram. I am Kelsey Abbott CPC. Please share your stories, tag us both. We want to hear from you. And now enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Find Your Awesome podcast. My guest today is Jessica Broderick, former pro triathlete. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited you're here. I feel like, I kind of feel like I know you, but I don't really. 
Um, and I'm, well, okay. So let's give a little background. I, what made me be like, oh my God, she would be great for this podcast is a piece you wrote for triathlete magazine mm-hmm. about why you retired. So yeah. let's start there. Can you just share a little bit about that story, please? Yeah. So I just wrote that article probably a couple weeks ago now. Um, and I guess my retirement has kind of come in phases. Um, and the final piece for, for me is writing about it. Writing has always been a great form of therapy. I studied journalism in college and I've always been a writer and been really passionate about it. And um, I've been wanting to write this type of piece for a long time, but every time I would sit down in front of my computer to write about retirement from sport, it would just be too hard to do it, to put it into words. And um, it felt like as soon as I wrote something about it, it was real. And so I think it actually took me um, three or four months to feel courageous enough to put it down in writing and then pitch that idea to my editor over at Triathlete. Um, And I thought it would be great to also include some other people's stories and what they're up to now. And um, I think that retirement is, is something that professional athletes don't talk enough about. And I think it's a lot harder than most people think, and even we think. Um, And so I thought I would start a conversation about that. And hopefully it, it sparked some, some interest in, in our, um, in our world of sport with triathletes and also hopefully beyond that. What makes it hard to talk about? Well, I think, I think most professional athletes, um, so much of their identity is tied into their career. And a lot of times people, I mean, this wasn't my own experience. I didn't grow up wanting to be a professional athlete or striving to make an Olympic team. But I think the, the norm is that athletes from a young age have that dream. And so from a young age, it's ingrained in who they are, you know, and the decisions they make and um, just everything they do on a daily basis. And so I think on a cellular level, it's, it's just so much of who you become as you grow up. And uh, even if you don't strive to be a professional athlete from a young age, when you do sport at a high level, um, I think it just, and if you do it right, I think it becomes a huge part of who you are. And when it's, so intertwined to your identity, it's, it almost feels a bit like a death. Um, And there's a grieving that comes with that. And for me personally, I, I know it's the right choice. And I feel good about that. But I think any type of change in life, even when it's good change, it's a form of loss. And so I think um, that's why it's been so hard and can be so hard for others. Yeah, I I feel you on that grieving piece. And that's something that I've talked to athletes a lot about when they get injured. And then that rocks their identity as an athlete. And I feel like an essential part of resilience, of coming back from an injury, is grieving. Grieving everything that's been lost with the injury first. Mm-hmm. And I think culturally we have this, this funny idea around grieving that like, you know, it's only for a death. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think grieving is, it's obviously a different process for everyone. And depending on what you're grieving and um, the time in your life, it's, you know, there's different stages of it and it comes back to you and then goes away. And, um, but culturally, I think it's something that a lot of people suppress and, as a result, um, as as a culture, we're we're not coping with with the things in our lives that are hard. Um, and I think eventually, over time, it just makes it harder. So, um, yeah, I think I think that grieving is kind of a tricky thing, and um, I've found that it's such an individual process that it's even hard sometimes to have people support you through it 
you know, even with the way someone grieves, say the loss of a family member is so different from how someone else grieves, you know, and um, I think that that's why it can be quite hard to have the right support during those times. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do feel it's, I think it's partially the athlete's responsibility to, um, to know what they need in those times and to seek it out. And that can be hard too. What did you need? Um, Well, I think the first thing for me was to feel like I could be successful doing something else. And so I actually feel like my retirement, the, the phase of retirement for me started when I took my year off from racing. So back in 2017, I took a year off and I got into coaching. And it was the first time that I did something besides racing where I felt um, joy and this um, feeling of being uh, successful and feeling like I had purpose. And then it went even farther for me in this whole piece of giving back that I never quite felt when I was racing for myself. Um, And so I think retirement, the beginning of my thoughts of retirement um, started that year. And then I ultimately decided to go back because for me, it was a piece of my journey that I, I felt was important just on a personal level to go back to sport, to be healthy, to get back on the start line, knowing that I had overcome a difficult time in my life. And, and then throughout racing last year, um, I had kind of fleeting thoughts of what my life might look like if I moved on and how, how I could be successful doing something else. And would everyone, you know, the, the hardest piece was, would everyone be okay with, with this life transition? And I think um, as soon as I felt safe with all of that, it was a little bit easier for me, but it's still, even though I, I process it for a year and a half and I knew it was right. And I spent all this time analyzing it. It's still hard. And I, I still feel um, like it's been hard on my supporters and my family. And like, I think that all of the people who have been invested in my journey are grieving it as well. So. Mm. When you said like, how would everyone else respond to it? What do you mean? Like what people, what, what were you worried about? I think it's just that piece of caring so much what people think. Um, You know, that's something I'm always working on. I had this coach back in Boulder who said something to me along the lines of um, people, people really don't care. Like, I, I think that that was one of the greatest things that he said to me, like he told me this story and, And that was kind of the punchline is like, you think that people care so much when they go and look at results and see where you're racing. And it's not that no one cares. I mean, of course, people care. They support you. They think your journey is amazing. They're inspired by it, all these things. But it's just triathlon, you know, and that's not taking away from anyone who's pursuing it full time and and chasing their dreams. I think it's amazing. I I did it for seven years. but I do think that that's been an important piece for me and kind of just moving on is like just letting myself take a deep breath and like be grateful for the career I had, but also know that it's, it's not all that I am. And how does it feel stepping into, well, okay, wait, first of all, I want to clarify. So you're not just sitting on your butt now, right? (laughs) No. And I actually had these irrational thoughts that, this was, this was another piece that was hard for me in retirement is I had these totally irrational thoughts that was, that were like along the lines of, if I'm not a professional athlete, I'm going to become like a couch potato. And of course it's like, that's not the case, right? I've been an athlete my whole life. I love being outdoors. I love pushing my body. And so another piece of my retirement and staying healthy throughout that has been kind of having a new goal. And so I'm, currently training for the Boston Marathon. It will be my first marathon. I'm running for um, Mass General Hospital Pediatric Oncology Unit. 
So it's a totally new thing for me. It's something I've always wanted to do to run for a charity and compete for a charity. Um, so no, I, I haven't been sitting on my butt. <laughs> I've also been coaching two teams, um, a middle school program and a high school, girls high school, private school swim, swim program. So those things have kept me busy and um, just kind of looking forward and, and trying to define what it is that I want to do in, in the realm of sport and um, just kind of take steps towards that. Do you know what it is yet? I think coaching, coaching is going to be at the core of what I want to do. Um, writing is also a huge passion of mine and I've, I've just started doing that again. Um, obviously you read the article that I wrote and kind of just freelancing at the moment, but I think all of the things that I want to do um, conveniently intertwine, you know, the writing and the coaching. And um, I actually want to go back to school and get my master's in um, counseling psychology. And so I eventually want to work specifically with athletes. Um, and that's kind of another piece. I mean, 90% of coaching is psychology anyways. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of my vision for what's next. I think I'll always have, um, I'll always be connected to sport through my career somehow. What's, do you feel like there's one central message that you want to get across to the people that you'd be writing to coaching counseling? I, I think because I experienced so much in my own career, it can be, it can be challenging to pinpoint one specific thing, but I think, um, with my own experiences, as well as what I'm seeing more and more in sport, I think my my message would be that you can be healthy and fit. I think there's they're very two they're two very different things. So I've been incredibly fit in my life and not healthy at all, and I've also been very healthy and not fit. And this is probably the first time in my life this last year and a half where I've been both and um I feel like being healthy and fit is the foundation for happiness in sport and um that's kind of something that I really believe in as I coach you know creating environments where we work hard but we have fun and um I think that happy athletes are fast athletes so I think that the psychology piece of everything is, is becoming more, um, it's, it's more at the forefront of people's plans in becoming better, um, both at the age group and professional level. I think people are, are finding that it's, um, it can be what separates first from 15th place in a race. And I think everyone gets on the start line and, of course, everyone's trained hard and everyone's talented and fit. Um, but this psychology piece, you know, how happy are you? Uh, how much stress do you have in your life? How do you manage all of that? I think that those things, when you're trying to ask the most out of yourself on those race days, I think that that's actually the stuff that matters more. Mm. I, yeah. I agree completely. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> we're now into my realm of passion. Um, Okay, wait. So first, I want to go back to how how do you define healthy and how do you find define fit? So I would say fit is, you know, like, if you look at how your training is going, so the numbers that you're able to put out and the paces you're able to hit and um, how your training is going holistically, physically, how your training is going. And I would say healthy is the mental piece you know, uh, how, what, what are your conversations with yourself? How do you look at your body? How do you think about yourself on a daily basis? How do you measure yourself up to the best in the world? Um, you know, are you confident in that pursuit? Are you, um, constantly telling yourself that you, you can't do it or are you, um, mentally strong and optimistic? And, um, I think, it's this like inner dialogue that you have. So I can use myself as an example. Um, I, 
I guess there, there are two seasons that come to mind, uh, 2014 and 2015. It was kind of when I had my breakout performances. Um, I was with a new squad and I was training at a level that I never had trained at before. And um, I got really lean in a not so healthy way. Uh, there was a lot of pressure to be lean in that environment. And of course, I, I think that being lean for performance is important, but I also think it's kind of the type of thing that you address after the, the training is there, right? If you're training well and all of that is going well, then that's your foundation. And then you address those, those other few percent when you're like sharpening for a race. So in 2015 in particular, I started off the year, I was probably um, like 58 kilos. I don't really remember how much that is in pounds because we always did stuff in kilos. And within like five or six weeks, I was training insanely well. Um, I was down uh, five or six kilos, which is probably 12 to 15 pounds in five to six weeks. And I went on to um, at, I think I was, I think that was the year that I got fourth at Malulaba. And then I went on to get my top 15 at WTS race. Um, so I had these performances that for me validated all the behavior that was going towards them, right? And I think, that could be the hard thing with these, these cycles that we get into is if you perform all, all the behavior and all the routines and everything that you're doing just seems okay. And you just, you move on and you, you just feel validated and you keep doing that. But I think the problem with that type of um, engagement with your process is that there's a breaking point. And in 2014 and in 2015, after, engaging in those types of processes where I really wasn't healthy, but I was fit. I had a breaking point where um, I had to come home and I had to regroup and I was just totally broken. And um, so I have experienced firsthand the difference between healthy and fit. And of course, at the time I had no idea that there was a difference and that both could exist. And I was just, grateful and excited to be a part of the environment I was in. And I still am grateful for it. I learned a lot and grew and performed at a level I didn't know I was capable of. But in saying that, I think there was a lot of destruction happening in the process. What was the dialogue like in your head? Um, on a daily basis, it was, it was either totally positive or totally negative based on how training went. So I would swing back and forth from that was an amazing session. You're awesome. You're ready for race season to you had a horrible day today. You're not ready to race. You shouldn't be doing this sport. And so that swing on a even hourly basis sometimes was pretty difficult to manage. Um, but for me, it just kind of became the norm. And I think it just, over time became really exhausting to deal with that. Um, I know now that having days that are good and bad are part of being a athlete at whatever level you are at. And so now I kind of have the perspective and maturity to accept whatever the day brings and know that it's, it is what it is. And you can still do good work when you feel bad and you can do great work when you feel great. And I try to just, um, move on after each day and not overanalyze it now. And it's a little bit easier now that it's not my career. You know, it's not, it's easier to not overanalyze the training, but the, the dialogue holistically was not, not great. <laughs> so. Yeah. So when it was your career, all right, wait, so let me explain this. When I recently decided with my clients, who are, and I'm just recently been talking to an athlete about this. So the stories we tell ourselves about coming back from an injury, mm -hmm. I, once you start going down a rabbit hole, I now believe you have to go all the way down that rabbit hole until it gets so ridiculous that you're able to be like, mm, yeah, maybe that's not true. So for instance, like 
oh, I'm going to be injured forever. And then uh, my husband's going to leave me and I'm going to lose my job and I'm going to get super fat and just like totally unhealthy. And oh, I'm not going to have any money. And then so I'm going to be sleeping under a bridge. <laughs> really? Really? Okay. So like, I, I think it helps to get down, like all the way down there. It's like, hmm, yeah. Maybe it's just Yeah. I think, I think like, I think that type of um, dialogue is, is really common. And I'm, I'm not saying that I don't have that type of dialogue still. Um, I wouldn't say it's a daily thing for me, but I certainly deal with it weekly. And I think the difference now is my ability to like, the awareness of it happening first and the ability to like turn it around. So I feel like for me, a huge piece of being healthier has been having like this toolbox of ways to cope with those, those thoughts and those types of interactions in your mind that happen. Because I feel like people, one way that people manage that is just by like pushing it down. Mm -hmm. But instead of doing that, I try to actually interact with it, even though it creates like this uncomfortable kind of like emotional experience, I try to like sit with it because then I can like interact with it and like in a healthy way, move past it. And I also think I'm curious about the reasons why I have those, those types of conversations with myself, you know, like I remember feeling like I was having more of them when I was really tired. And I remember feeling like I was having more of them as races were approaching. And so sometimes it's actually, um, it can give you some great information about maybe when your body is experiencing more stress, you have more negative self-talk, or maybe there's emotional baggage from life stressors that you're not coping with. And you're having this, this dialogue as a result. And so I feel like it actually can be informative. Um, and I try to kind of be kind with myself with that. And instead of just being like, geez, Jess, here we go again. I'm like, okay, well, this isn't a great conversation that you're having with yourself. So let's try to understand what's going on. And then just figure out how to how to cope with it in the moment. So when we know what influences our energy, so we've got like a hundred percent of our energy accessible on a great day, then, Mm -hmm. okay. So it's 40 degrees and rainy. Now you're down to like 70 because no one wants to be out in that. Then Mm -hmm. you had a really crappy sleep last night. All right. Now we're bringing it down more. Now um, you're PMSing. We're bringing it down more. (laughs) Yeah. You didn't eat something like you're, you're underhydrated or I don't know, like stressed at work or you had a fight with your partner. Like we're just bringing it down so that I think when we're aware of it, we can be like, huh? Yeah. I'm, I'm probably offering it like 10% of my best right now. Yeah. Exactly. Myself on anything at this point. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a really cool way to look at it. And I think it just allows us to have this self-compassion when we can be aware of the fact that we're not always going to be functioning at our best. In fact, we're, we're rarely going to be functioning at our best, but I think we can still like get, get the most out of ourselves on a daily basis, even though we're not at our best. Right. Like, I think it's, it's great practice to be like, okay, well, Right now I'm really cranky and it's been a bad day, but I'm going to choose to like think about things that I'm grateful for and turn the day around and not take it out on the people who love me. And um, yeah, I think for everyone, there's different things we can do when we're in those spaces to just totally change our day. Like I, I go and pet our dogs or I go for a walk with them or I call a friend and it's like, you go from a two to a five in 20 minutes, right? Like, so I think it's, it's our own responsibility in life as we grow to figure out what those things are for each of us that help us stay healthy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And petting, petting the dog is always, and especially playing with the dogs that always lifts me right up. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. all good. And they live completely in the present. So it's like, all right. Totally. 
right here, right now, none of that stuff earlier happened. Yeah. It doesn't exist. They're great. So you've talked about joy and like stepping into joy since mm-hmm. you retired. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I think something I experienced when I took my year off of racing was this introduction to coaching. And I, I always had people say like, Hey, you'd be a great coach. And during my athletic career, I actually would, would be like almost offended by that. Cause it's like, should I retire now? Like, should I just coach? Cause I'm not as good as I should be as an athlete. Like I would always have these, like, of course, overanalyzing small mm-hmm. conversations that I'm sure there was no meaning behind it. Um, and so I had a friend, a close friend of mine recommend getting involved in coaching and it just was this, this process for me where I would walk on the pool deck. I, the first team I coached was a high school girls team, 65, 70 girls, big team is where I went to school. I would walk on the pool deck and I felt like they, the girls were relying on me to guide them. And it was this process that I, I just felt this responsibility that um, it, it just was, a, it was amazing for me. I felt like I could guide them to become better women. I felt like I could guide them to become better athletes. I felt like I could help them through whatever they were going through by just being there. And I think that, that for me was, um, I felt joy from that process that, I hadn't really experienced in my athletic career in quite some time. Um, And so when I went back to sport in 2018, I was also coaching and that was like my piece of joy, you know, in the midst of training again, of course I enjoyed training and I did enjoy going back to racing, but um, there is a fulfillment piece. And I think that ties very closely with joy. Um, that I was getting from coaching that I didn't feel like I was getting from my own racing. And I think a big part of that is we're here on earth to be there for each other. Right. And so when I reached a point in my athletic career where I didn't understand my why I was no longer getting joy from that process. And the process itself is hard enough that if you don't know why you're doing it and you don't feel that extension of like, inspiring younger generations or you know whatever it is the reason why you do sport professionally then you're just left with this feeling of like isolation and Mm -hmm. I think um the coaching part of my life was it brought me the opposite emotions of that right like I was there for people I I had this these amazing experiences specifically with coaching girls and I felt valued. I felt respected. I felt like I was good at something. Um, and it was natural for me. You know, I'd, I'd leave the pool deck every day, no matter how hard or easy the practice was. And I would be happy. Like I would, I would have these days where I'd get in my car and I would be crying because I just felt like I was impacting their lives. And of course it wasn't everyone's lives, right? Like some girls are more open to growth and evolving than others um, through sport. But holistically, it was just a really rewarding process for me that brought a lot of joy. And so now I obviously have come to the point of officially retiring and kind of just leaning into these pieces of what makes me happy and um, coaching is, is at the core of that. I love that. And it reminds me, you're talking about just like that first day you stepped on the pool deck reminds me of back when I was coaching and I was teaching a class. It was kind of like a, it was a core class for girls. It was teenage girls. And I have so many powerful memories from that experience. I mean, there are the little things like I remember when um, one girl did push-ups on her toes for the first time and she was just so ecstatic about it. But I also remember the day that 
they all came in and they said, Kelsey, you're my person. I was like, what? And they had talked about suicide at school and how they should all have a person, an adult that they trusted that wasn't their parents in case they were having suicidal thoughts. Wow. That was a powerful moment. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I think for me, I, I think as a coach, it can be hard at times because you often have, you know, a string of days where maybe you don't feel like you're, you're helping anyone in a positive way, or it's kind of like sport, you know, like you have a string of days where you don't really see like forward progress, but there's still like magic happening under the surface. And so I think with coaching, there's these moments and a lot of them for that particular season came at the end um, where you, you kind of feel like the validation of, of what you were preaching the whole season and what you wanted for the girls. And I mean, the big thing for me was getting the girls to believe in themselves. Like it really wasn't about swimming. It was about the power of believing in what I was doing and what we were doing as a team and, believing in themselves. And as soon as that happened, they swam fast. And so um, I think that's kind of something that brought me a lot of joy is seeing, seeing that process of like girls, of course, working hard and swimming day in and day out and working hard towards their goals, but just like this, this belief, like you could just see it in their body language and their faces when they get on the blocks. Um, I can often tell like when a girl steps on the blocks, if they're going to have a good race or not just by body language and facial expressions and mood. So I think kind of seeing them all blossom throughout the season into uh, more confident and strong girls or women was really like beautiful for me to see. And I know like, there, there are things that happened for all of them that I probably wasn't a part of in, in the sense that they like, they all grow in their own ways and experience that type of change for a number of reasons that I have no influence over, but it did feel pretty special to have a small impact on them for, I guess it was like three months <laughs> that I was coaching them. Yes. And you know, I look back at my coaches, like my swimming and water polo coaches as a teenager and before. I have such, like, I am so grateful for all of them. I had such, they all had such a huge impact on me. Right. I could look at teachers and I'm like, yeah, they were cool. But it was honestly, it was the coaches that had the powerful impact on my life. So don't discount yeah. yourself there. I do think that, um, teachers and coaches are very similar in the sense that they can so strongly influence negatively or positively children or young adults in this very impressionable phase in their lives. So I think for me, it's, it's been something that I, um, I really invest a lot of energy in, in making sure I'm at my best on the day for my team, because I know that small things make a big difference in their lives, you know, whether sport is their escape from bullying or stress at school or a tough home environment. And so whatever sport is for an athlete, I try to just be supportive of that. And um, in addition, try to just have these personal relationships with each athlete. I think that's another piece that I found is be really important like small things like hey how was your day or how'd your test go yesterday like picking up on how athletes respond to certain interactions and what they need it's it's just they're all so different so um that was another thing that I really tried to focus on and it was really challenging when I coached that big team last year I'm coaching a team of 12 right now at a private school and so I feel like it's been a, it's been a little easier for me to implement that but I think that these small things really make a big difference. What do you notice? And when you said you can tell when a girl gets on the blocks, whether she's going to have a good swim or not. So what are the differences in body language and facial expression? Well, I think 
there's two parts of it. So athletes approach racing in, in different ways, right? Like there's some athletes who um, love training and aren't a huge fan of racing. And then there's some athletes who hate training and love to race. And so the ones who love to race, you often always see this intensity and this switch that happens when they get up on the blocks. And um, for those ones, I think it's about making sure that they're mentally in a good space. They're minimizing stress because racers are racers. And of course they need to train to prepare for racing. But I think that they're better at psychologically getting into the state they need to be in to perform. And then there's athletes who there are even athletes who love racing, but need more um, mental assistance to get themselves in the right place. And so I, something I would always say to the girls before they get up on the blocks is it's time to party because it would make them smile. And I feel like there's a lot of power in that, you know, like, especially a genuine smile. I mean, there's a lot of science behind what happens to your body when you smile chemically, you know, hormonally, all these things. So I think I goes back to what I was saying about trying to create these environments where athletes are happy and I can't do it for everyone because some people don't like sport and they're there because their parents are making them. And, um, I do my best, but some athletes, there's, there's really no way to, uh, kind of tap into that. And so I just kind of embrace those, those coach athlete relationships as well and, and help them get what it is that they want out of the season. But for the ones who are open and, and willing to kind of, um, you know, uh, improve themselves both physically and mentally. I think they're the ones who experience the most growth, um, obviously in the form of uh, swimming fast, but also kind of evolving as a human as well. Which athlete were you? Were you a racer or love to train and racing's fun, but a little scary? I loved training to up until um like when I started thinking about retirement training wasn't as fun anymore so that was like a a piece for me as far as evaluating if I should retire racing always brought a huge sense of like anxiety for me because I felt like it was validating if I was like good or bad and because my identity was so tied into my performances it ended up becoming such a stressful thing for me um that I don't know if I really enjoyed it that much uh, of course I enjoyed when I performed but it was like relief when I performed instead of joy right so mm-hmm. it's like I felt relieved that all the work I had done had paid off and I had performed so that I could like so there's evidence that it's that it's worth my time instead of like I worked really hard. I'm really proud of myself. Like this is, this has been a great block training. It was a very different dialogue. Um, as far as racing now, um, I got into run race, like doing running races during 2017 purely because I wanted to race again. I kind of felt that competitive drive and I found joy in racing there. And so that's kind of how I've, navigated back to running I did a bunch of races this fall while I was transitioning to retiring and now I'm running Boston and I think running has always been my love of the three um and so it's really no surprise to me that I've kind of come back to that Mm -hmm. yeah I think there's so much power in what you just shared and about knowing that like if you love to train and then suddenly you don't love to train there's there's something there. There's something to get curious about. Yeah, I did fight it for a long time, you know, because um, I think I always knew that there are going to be times when it was hard and times when you have to grind and times when, you know, it's, it doesn't feel good. And I knew that. And so I, I would always just put my head down and kind of get through it. But then um, after experiencing the joy that I found from coaching and then going back, to training, I think that, um, I think that there was just this feeling of like, I'm so much happier when I'm just like being active and working towards goals and not relying on that as like a ways to make a living. And 
Um, and also like so many of my friends are in sport. Like my best friend is Summer Cook and she's, well, Summer Rappaport now. She's obviously at, at the top of the sport. And I found that I was getting more joy out of like following their competitions than racing myself. And so that was another piece is like, I just, I love the sport and I always will. And I, I follow it closely and I'm a huge supporter of all my friends and people that I've met along the way, but it just wasn't, it wasn't giving me the fulfillment that I felt like it should um, anymore. And that was pretty heartbreaking to accept, but um, yeah, it was, it was time. <laughs> Do you think you'll race triathlon again at, at an age group level, an amateur level? Um, you know, I when you're 80, so. when I'm 80. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Oh, I'm probably crazy enough to do that type of thing, but <laughs> I, I'm sure I'll always be involved in, in the sport in some capacity, whether it's coaching or maybe competing for a charity or doing like a relay or something. Um, Kurt, I remember was talking to me a lot about doing long course and, I just never really had an interest in it. I loved ITU racing because it was tactical and exciting. And um, it just, it was the format that I, that I really loved. And I kind of, once, once that dream kind of went away or the desire to pursue it went away, it was just, it just felt like it was, it was the end of, Mm -hmm. of that. So. I'm wondering, so as you were talking earlier, well, about everything and the evolution of your why. What advice, and I am wary about that word advice. I actually don't like advice, but just so like, what would you say? What words would you say to your younger self? Um, I think I would probably just uh, encourage her to be kind to herself. You know, I think I, I've been so hard on myself for, for so long and it's, it's still like a battle, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm like my toughest critic. I think a lot of people are like that, but I think as much as I have advice for my younger self, I don't know if I would really change the path that I had because it's taught me so much that I now bring to coaching and, um, it feels very natural for me now to, to coach and have this perspective from the things that I overcame. So I think being compassionate is something that I would, I would always encourage for, for anyone, but I don't know. That's kind of a tough question. (laughs) It's a really hard question and there's no right answer. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like, it sounds like leading with love is really important to you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I, I think that most of my life um, I've loved both people and things and what I'm pursuing so much to maybe a fault. And because when I, when I love something deeply, I just invest my heart and soul into it. And I don't think I'll ever live differently but I'm learning how to be healthier in the midst of that because I think it is somewhat of an extreme way of living. And I, I think that I've worked a little bit on trying to be a bit more balanced with, with that. So. That's a really interesting insight. You're a passionate person. Do you feel like there's something wrong with that? I don't think there's something wrong with it, but I think in pursuing something wholeheartedly and caring about it it's almost like i care care about things too much so there's like this there's this like sweet spot of caring Mm -hmm. for things where you're opening yourself up to the possibility of failure but you're also okay with it and you care and you're pursuing it and you you just are engaged in the process and the outcome is irrelevant and i think Um, I think for me, it's more just kind of staying present in all of that and not getting caught up in the outcome 
and being just more engaged in the day to day. So yeah. no, it feels like desire without attachment, which is right. awesome. Mm-hmm. Just being able yeah. to let go of the outcome. Yeah. Oh, we've got to wrap this up. This has been <laughs> so fun. Where can people connect with you, learn more about you, read the words you're writing? So I'm currently writing for triathlete. I just kind of got started with them. So I'll probably have more stuff on there. And then my, my Twitter is at just try for more fun. So that <laughs> I came up with that when I was young and thought it was really clever. <laughs> and now I think it sounds kind of silly, but that's my Twitter. And then my Instagram is at Jess E Broderick. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm now coaching for a company called Forever Endurance. They're based in Boulder. So I'm sure that'll be kind of at the forefront of what I'm doing moving forward. And yeah, I'm sure that I'll continue writing and sharing. And it's kind of a something that I'm really, I believe is important, kind of sharing the journey. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing this little snippet of your journey today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. This has been fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please head over to Facebook and join the group Find Your Awesome with Kelsey Abbott. It's free. And if you want more than that, go to my website, kelseyabbott.com. And there you can sign up for my newsletter and get a series of free guided meditations. And I would really appreciate it if you could head over to the podcast app and leave a review of the Find Your Awesome podcast. Your reviews help other people learn about this podcast. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you, friends. Go forth and be awesome.